right, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 1. So it says here that uh, therefore, and what, what is it that we always say, or maybe we don't always say that, maybe we haven't learned that yet. When you see a therefore, what do you look for? You look for what happened in the, in the past, the, the previous verses. So therefore, as a result of what we learned in chapter 3, as a result of God calling us to learn to, to walk in, in accordance to his will, as we learn to uh, understand that we need to submit to Christ and to the, the power of the, uh, the fellowship of the suffering of Christ, which leads to the power of the resurrection. Therefore, we look for unity uh, and, and uh, not to compromise uh, for the sake of unity, but unity where on the essentials and uh, grace on the non-essentials. Uh, and then we talk about the fact we talked about the citizenship of heaven and that we are looking forward to Christ's return as a result of that. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, how you should, you should stand firm in the Lord. <clears throat> Notice he says, I love, that's in the Greek, uh, we mentioned this in last week, I, I was blown away when uh, New, York, uh, New York Life had an ad for the Super Bowl that had four words for, for love out of the Greek, it just blew me away. I was like, okay, who, who has been reading the scripture, you know, because, or reading the Greek? That, because it's specifically, this is, the, this is the fourth one that they mentioned on that ad, which is agape, which is a sacrificial kind of love. It's a God kind of love. And without the sacrifice, so he says, I, I love you. I'm willing to sacrifice for you, and I long for you. You are my joy and my crown. What does that say about crowns? What do you know about crowns? Who wears crowns? Kings. Kings. When I was a when I was a kid, I always thought king. I mean, read these verses like, oh man, this is great. I'm gonna be a king, you know, someday. And now I'm not really sure that's gonna be the case. I'm pretty sure that when we get to heaven, that my job, if it isn't on the road crew fixing potholes in heaven, that my other possibility is that I'm going to be the court jester. But that's just my thoughts. Uh, in the meantime, in this time frame, in the first century, who gets crowns? Athletes. Athletes receive a crown. Remember we talked about that. We talked about Paul said in chapter 3, we talked about the fact that he was pressing on, straining for the prize. The prize is a crown. And in this particular case, he's saying that one of the crowns you get are people that come to know the Lord, that you're a part of their lives. So as you pour into people... And as they respond by growing and doing things for the Lord, you get, it's kind of like a pyramid scheme. You get credit. You know, we've talked about this. Think about, you know, we think of the fact that uh, D.L. Moody was this great preacher that, that reached two continents for Christ. Uh, we, we see that throughout his lifetime, and we can see a, 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 a a direct lineage of people that were one to the Lord as a result of somebody, you know, somebody won D.L. Moody to the Lord, who happened to be a Sunday school teacher. Anybody know his name? Yeah, no, not so much. I do have it buried someplace in some notes. But as a result, of that you look down all through, there are all these Billy Sunday, Mordecai Ham. Uh, one of the guys that maybe some of you know, or at least know of, recently died. Billy Graham is a direct, 
He can follow the preachers that were that were involved in leading someone to the Lord, that led someone to the Lord, that led someone to the Lord, that led someone to the Lord, and all the way led Billy Graham to the Lord. And then Billy Graham, how many people did Billy Graham lead to the Lord? You don't think that when you get to heaven and you see what has been the result of just throwing a small pebble in a pond and how that ripple goes out forever, think about it, that the guy who was the Sunday school teacher had not been faithful in doing his job, what would his reward be and, and what is his reward now as a result of his faithfulness in helping to lead D.L. Moody to the Lord? Can you imagine? What kind of legacy will each of us have? I can honestly tell you, mine ain't anywhere close to that. <laughs> I, I know that. But the thing is, God says he, he, that, that our joy, our crown, is uh, some of the effects of what we have done, the faithfulness that we have been involved with, and the people that have grown and gone on to do great things for the Lord, um, and and we share in that in that uh, in the joy of what happens with that. So that's the first uh, the first verse. Now the second verse is kind of interesting. Iodium and synecdoche. I plead with you to agree. Uh, and yes, I ask you, lo yoke, loyal yoke fellows, isn't that interesting word, uh, to help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So there's a problem. It's not a huge problem because it's taken him four chapters to get there. But this is an issue. This is the only issue that he specifically says there's an issue with the church. You're doing all right except for one area. And that's in the area of unity. And he mentions two, two people by name. Now, some scholars try to, try to massage this because they don't like the fact that there are two women that are named as fellow workers with Paul. So if you're, uh, depending upon your perspective in, in ladies in leadership, uh, some scholars try to, to get around this by saying one of them is actually actually a male name and one of them is a female name, name, female name, therefore it's a husband and wife team. That ain't the case. If you go back to the Greek, they're both female. There are male versions of these names, but that's not what's used. I'm pretty sure that Paul wrote two, two women, especially when he goes on to talk about women. And so... What we have here is a couple of questions. What, what about these women? Who are they? We have no idea. We can speculate. Here's my speculation. Do you remember how the church of Philippi started? Lydia. And who else was with Lydia? In Acts, we study that in the book of Acts, remember? Who else was with Lydia? Some other ladies. They were down by a stream because there weren't enough men to have a synagogue. And she was trying to follow the, the tenets of Judaism, even though she wasn't a Jew herself. She was probably a converted uh, Gentile to, a, to the Jewish faith. So there are some ladies that were involved. Apparently, some of them had some money. We know that Lydia did. We know the church uh, probably met at her house, and it was a, probably a fairly nice-sized house. It's possible these ladies were those, some of those ladies that were down at the stream with her. 
that, that came to know Christ as a result of Paul's ministry. As a result of that, they're, they're involved. Notice that it's not, in all probability, it's not a doctrinal issue because he doesn't speak like it's a doctrinal issue. It, it seems that it's divisive enough that it's causing division, the possibility of division within the church. And so he says, I, I want you to do something. And it's going to be important. And he talks about, he says, I want you to try to, first of all, do what? What's Matthew tell us to do? There, You have ought against someone, what are you supposed to do? Go to them first. So try to work it out for yourself. If you can't work it out for yourself, what's the next step? Get an arbiter. Go to someone and have them. Try to work it out between the two of you. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes, just having someone who's outside of the problem, who can look at it, can know immediately what the problem is. You ever notice? That, counselors have this all the time. When you when you sit in with, in a counseling session, I can't tell you how many times people want to tell me, you know, this is a unique problem, and I'm listening to the problem and go, no, it's not. It's unique circumstances, but the problem is the same. Everyone has those problems, and you, and you point out the solution, and I go, oh, I never thought of that. Why? Well, because they were in the midst of the forest. They couldn't see the, the trees, you know? The problem was so big, they needed someone to be able to step back who was not overly involved, and that's what they're asking for here. To have someone step in, try to uh, negotiate, try to be an arbiter between the two of them. And then if it doesn't work out, then what are you supposed to do? What's Matthew tell us? Go to the church. Why? Why do you go to the church? So you can sweep it under the carpet? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I've told you about this, but I was, I was at one church I'd started in September, and I was at the, uh, uh, I was on staff, and uh, by December, uh, we had lost our senior pastor to, uh, to a moral uh, failure. Uh, he had uh, a, another family, uh, if you can believe that, that was, uh, he was uh, involved with. And uh, the, the wife, uh, he was an older gentleman, and the wife had children and grandchildren, and they were calling him Grandpa. So he was spending a lot of time there. Uh, along with his own family, uh, the one he was supposedly married to. So the result was we've, we've, we had to address the issue. And then, you know, we're sitting there with the board, and the board's, we got people on the board who want to sweep it under the carpet. We're not going to say anything. We're just going to let them go. No, you can't do that. Why? Or you can just, you know, yeah, but the idea of sweeping under the carpet, the, the, you do that, you still got a lump under the carpet you're walking across. You ever had <laughs> lumps on the carpet? You know, it, it, it's, and then what happens is you start getting rumors because there's no one telling what's going on. It's like playing post office. You remember as a kid you used to play post office? You'd start at one end of the, of the circle, you go around, by the time you got back to the person on the, you know, with the left or right, whichever way you started, the, op, the last person, they tell what they heard and it's totally different. That's what happens. And we don't, and, and by the way, how do you take care of decay and how do you take care of 
things that are, uh, you know, like uh, spores and mold. Take it into the light, cut it out, put salt on it to stop the decay. But what do, you, what do we do when we have, we take it out into the sunshine. Why? The sunshine helps to destroy it. What happens when you bring sin into the sunshine? You expose it and it has a chance to, to be destroyed. Why is it the men love darkness rather than light? Because it produces, it produces healing also. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about here. Deal with it. And deal with it for the sake of unity in the church and for the sake of what it's going to do to the community. Can you imagine when you don't tell what's going on? Now, by the way, here's here's the rule of thumb. The more the more public the sin, the more public the confession, the more public you have to be with it. There are some sins that are done in secret that can be dealt with in secret. But if it's a public person, especially if it's a public sin, you can't hide it. You've got to deal with it. All right. We, have we gotten everyone real uncomfortable about our sins now? Okay, let's go. So it says... I plead with you, and I want you to do this. By the way, just a, a side note here. In verse 3, you see the guy by the name of Clement. Anybody, that make any, any sense to anybody? Anybody know Clement? I know that most of you aren't. Okay, in, in the ancient world, there, and in ancient times, there were a number of, of people that wrote books about the church or whatever. There was, a, there was a, a, a one, I can't remember the... the Greek name for it at the, not, at the moment it escapes me, but it's uh, it's basically uh, a discipleship uh, book, and it's uh, some people considered adding it to scripture. There was another one called the Shepherd of Hermes, was another uh, ancient book that was written by a believer, and people had considered possibly adding that to the canon, and uh, and then there was a, a guy by the name of Clement that wrote Clement, First Clement and Second Clement. Now, Second Clement, not so much. I've read First Clement. It's not bad. It's a pretty decent book, but it's not scripture. It's got some good things to say in it, but you look at it, it's pretty much repeating stuff that we've already got in scripture. So these, these are books that are uh, apocryphal? Yeah, they might consider them apocryphal. We're not sure if Clement was actually the writer of it because we have no proof. Uh, no, that would, uh, maybe. But, well, there were several people, you know, and Clement's a common name, so we don't know. One of the things that ha tends to happen with books, that in order to get a sense of authority when you, when you have a book that you want to share with someone, you, you find a name of somebody that's important, and you put that as the, as the author, because that way, it, you know, it'd be like, uh, uh, well, I don't know, if you're a conservative and there was a book that, that was unearthed, and it was from uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, there would be a bunch of conservatives that would want to read that, and whatever it said would be really important, right? If you were, uh, if you were a, a, a more liberal or, or from a Democratic perspective and say, uh, say Barack Obama were to pass away and, uh, and we discovered in, in there someone tried to put forth a book that he had written, maybe he hadn't written it, but if you want to get credibility, put his name on it and suddenly it's important. Everyone wants to read it, right? Because it's, it's that, and it's the same in ancient times. You put a name that's important 
You put the name Peter on it. You put the name John on it. You put the name Paul on it. You put the name whatever on it. And it, it has a certain amount of, uh, uh, that, that's like the gospel according to Judas. There's a Judas gospel. Did you know that? It's an apocryphal book. You know, it doesn't, it, it's, it speaks to specifically the concept of, uh, of uh, Gnosticism in, inside, of Jude, uh, inside of Christianity, but it's there. And there are other books that, that, have, uh, that have been popped up. So we don't know for sure, but, but Clement is this name that's kind of, oh, well, it's, you know, in passing, it's apparently somebody who's important in the church. And, and perhaps he wrote Clement, the first Clement uh, book. And again, if you want to read it, you can probably get it as a uh, PDF uh, uh, if you Google it, I'm sure you could. Most of these books are available uh, somehow or other uh, if you want, really want to. But I think what you do is if you read those books, read them with the idea of how does it conform to Scripture? Not that it's something new to be added to Scripture, but does it agree with Scripture? If it agrees with Scripture, that's fine, good, accept it. If it doesn't, just reject it. It's okay. You know, it's like uh, sometimes you need to... to I, I, I've read some... some of the apocryphal books I had to do when I was doing my master's work, it was crazy some of the stuff they came up with, you know? Uh, my favorite from the Old Testament uh, during the intertestament period is Bell and the Dragon. You want to read an interesting book? Read Bell and the Dragon. Or read the rest of, uh, uh, the rest of Esther or, some, or, you know, there's some interesting books out there that are, that, you know, like, well, we didn't get it all right the first time, so we're going to look at, well, they, nobody knows who that is. If it's true or not, but anyhow, not yeah. Could we say that Clement was trying to help with the situation? It would appear that he's somebody that they that Paul relies on, and he's a he's he's well known enough, at least in the in the the church there that he mentions him by name, and so perhaps he's there. In the suggestion is maybe he should be. Uh, one of the people that uh, can uh, arbitrate this situation. Maybe that's what Paul is suggesting. We don't know for sure. Now, is this the same, like, same Clement in Catholic Could very well be. Mm -hmm. They talk about a Saint Clement. Yeah. Yeah. And he was actually a third pope. Yeah. And he died in like 1 AD. I mean, in uh, like a hundred AD. Yeah. It's very possible. Again, remember, these names are, are not uncommon names back in that day, so it's hard to know. We have some, it's possible that, that yeah, he's the same guy. I don't know for sure either, but remember, you're talking about, you're talking about Greece, so it's not. It would be not be impossible for somebody who is in the who is in Corinth to also be in Philippi. Really, actually, Corinth is is uh, uh, much further south. Uh, Philippi is actually in Macedonia, uh, but it is what would be considered uh, Greeks today, at least part of Greece. True. Very, very few of the Bible characters are we able to connect. No, for sure. Uh, because like Paul, we have Saul of Tarsus, so 
into we can individualize that. On the other hand, there are bunches of bunch of Peters going through the scripture. Yeah. There are there are unique names, and then there are some of these names are popular names, for a variety of reasons. Uh, think about the fact that in in Jews and uh, other people in the Middle East used um, uh, the son of as a as a t so you would be uh, you know I would be uh, Valen son of Gerald you know so it could be uh, Valen Ben Gerald or Valen Bar Gerald um, that's one of the, the things that you would find in, and uh, um, um, can't I can't think of my my friend's name he's since passed on to be with the Lord but uh, I knew a, a, a I knew a, a fellow, his last name was Ben Lou, and uh, he was a Christian Jew. Yeah. Yeah. My as my aunt went to this Baptist retreat. Like the Ben Lou's thing every week. Oh, to to uh, the the dad. Yeah. The dad was this this uh, uh, I can't remember the dad's name. My mind is apparently I'm getting old. He was a he he had survived the concentration camps. Had come to the United States. Uh, his name, his name, first name, his name was David. David Ben Lou. They, they eventually Ben Lou, even though it referred back to a distant relative, became their last name. So David Ben Lou uh, uh, used to speak, and he used to have a, a huge accent. And I always, uh, um, Leslie was the guy who I was thinking of. He, he was he pastored out a, a various areas here in the in the Detroit area, and then eventually pastored in Ludington and then pastored in uh, uh, Muskegon. Anyhow, they, uh, uh, I always used to kid him about his dad because his dad would talk about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but his name was, he, he, his accent was so thick, it always came out as the King of Kinks and the Lord of Lords, and I'm going, <laughs> it was it was funny, you know, especially because, you know, as a little kid, you know, you just, that's the way you heard, you heard things and you thought that people spoke funny, you know. So anyhow, but David Ben Lou was a, a wonderful uh, preacher of the gospel. Brought a lot of people to the Lord, and his son uh, Leslie and I. Uh, at one time, we were both worship leaders, uh, worship pastors in various churches. And we participated in a big, a couple of big concerts where all of our churches got together and sang, uh, big full orchestra and you know four hundred voices and blah blah blah. Anyhow, all right. So let, we're uh, we're f far afield here. Uh, which doesn't surprise me, right? So we're told to um, we're we're told to to work out these problems because um, we need to make sure that what we believe and what we practice are the same thing. We're told, you know, sometimes we're told what to do, or we know what we believe, but we fail to practice it. You ever had that situation? I was in, I pastored one church years ago, and there was an issue that happened uh, within a, a lady's circle, and there was a lady that was just out of control, and uh, had had done some things that were just flat out sinful, and um, she needed to be she needed to be dealt with, and it needed to be women that dealt with her. We had at that time we had. We had deaconesses in our church. And so uh, I went to the deaconesses and I said, this lady needs to be addressed. This, this issue 
needs to be addressed and she needs to be told that what she's done is, is evil and she needs to repent of it and deal with it because she'd hurt some people in the church. Well, it took forever. I couldn't get these ladies off at dead center. I kept showing them, this is what scripture says. This is how you deal with it. When there's a sin, you have to deal with it, especially an open sin that uh, the entire church knows. Well, you know, she's always been that way. Doesn't matter. It means what, you, what happens is you've never dealt with her correctly. Let's deal with it. Well, you know, by the time it's now a month, almost two months later before they finally address the issue, and they're saying, well, yeah, it's kind of old news now, and now she doesn't want to, she's become, she's not become recalcitrant. She, she doesn't want to deal with it become recalcitrant about the whole issue well you know it's like because you didn't deal with it when it when it happened you allowed it to be swept under the carpet because well you know that's just the way she is no the way she was 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 wrong it needed to be dealt with it needed needed to be addressed there were people that were hurt because of her of her sin so and I'm not picking on women. I'm just saying that's the same thing was true with men. When you see somebody with a fault, you're supposed to go and deal with it. That's what Ephesians talks about, or is it Galatians? Galatians says uh, you're to go and you're to help them recover from that. And the result is uh, in Galatians 6, it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him uh, gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also become temp tempted. That term restore in the Greek has the idea of setting a bone that was broken. Now, is it possible to reset a bone without it having some pain? Probably not. But you're to do it with as, as gently as possible. So you deal with it. So th these are these are important issues that need to be dealt with. All right. So uh, I think we've uh, let's flee from that, shall we? Let's get it. rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything. Well, that makes good sense because that's what I want to do. I'm always I never have any problem with with anxiousness, right? It. Joy is what God says that he wants to provide for us. We talked, in fact, Danny talked about this on Sunday morning, right? Yeah. That what we dealt with was joy. Yeah. Have, joy is different than happiness. Joy is something that you can have in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, you can still have joy in your heart. It's not always easy to have happiness, you know, in the midst of all of that, but you can have a type of inward joy that, that is evident. Uh, he says to do that, and he says to uh, rejoice and let your gentleness be evident to all. So we're talking about two things, rejoice. Uh, their joy in the Lord is to be unchanging regardless of the circumstances they find themselves in. Because there is no situation that you're encountering that God is not aware of and that God cannot help you with. Now, help does not mean that he will relieve you of the issue, but he will help you in the midst of the issue. He will see you through. Remember when the guys were in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Nebuchadnezzar looks in the furnace and says, didn't we throw three guys in there? Why are there four walking around? You know, 
it just so happened that, that God saved them out of the fire. But God didn't necessarily have to save them out of the fire. What he did do was he was with them in the midst of the fire. Didn't like he stopped them from not going in. There are going to be times and issues in your lives that, and in my life that we're going to deal with. And God says, you don't get a chance. You, you don't get to walk away from this. You have to go through it. My favorite book to hate, James, says that we're to endure. We're to stay under the problem. We're, we're to, uh, God says he will provide a way uh, for us to endure this. Because it's like a process that God has for us that's, that's going to refine us. I don't like being refined. Personal, personal explanation here, I hate being refined. I'd just soon stay with all the impurities in my life. It'd be a whole lot easier. But God has a purpose, and his purpose is to refine us like he does gold and silver. And the only way that that happens is God has to turn up the heat sometimes and deal with it. And, and whatever you're going through, some of you are, have got Job-like experiences you're going through. And, and this side of heaven, you might not know why you're going through this. But God is there, and in the midst of this, God says that I will help you in the midst of this. I won't necessarily relieve you of it, but I will help you. That means sometimes you've got to make tough, tough choices or tough decisions, or you have to stay through it. There are times when I didn't want, you know, there are issues. That, it's a whole lot easier sometimes to walk away from an issue than deal with it, isn't it? You ever notice that when you walk away from it, you haven't gotten away from it? The issue tends to travel with you. Maybe not the same people, but the issue. Why? Because you didn't deal with it. All right, so God says to, do it, to, to, to rejoice in the midst of, to have joy in the midst of all this. He says to do this with gentleness, which uh, uh, is important that we do this. It's, it, it's an element of selflessness. A gentle person is a person who does not insist upon his rights. You know how easy it is to get all fired up because, you know, somebody's doing something that's not right and you're going to, you know, I, I, have, I demand my rights. Well, what, what if, you know, could you imagine if, if Christ demanded his rights in the midst of the cross? Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be. Uh, so... Jesus is our example. Jesus is led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus was gentle and kind and good. And this is what he's asking for you and I. And um, sometimes it's hard to do. You know, there are times when we get riled up. You know, and, and something really just cranks my, you know, turns my crank. And, and, but God says we need to do this. Consider it courtesy and respect uh, the integrity of others. A fairness and magnanimity, magnanimity, the teeth back in there, uh, is something we're called to do, to be magnanimous. There are probably two reasons for this. One, God's going to judge us. And expecting to see this quality, in his, he expects to see this quality in his person. And secondly, he personifies exactly this quality. Just saying. He goes on to say, don't be anxious. One translation uses the word careful. Uh, it, it, the other concept is that 
anxious is like being pulled in two different directions. Uh, he says, don't do this. Don't be anxious. In other words, don't worry. I once, I once did a message years and years ago. I'd, I'd love to redo it. I've never had the opportunity. But how to worry properly. It was based out of Matthew. He says, what does it gain if you, if you worry? You know, Because that's the thing that we're talking about, is that we talk about worry, and the worry is, uh, can create all kinds of problems. Worry, in, in the English word worry, the root of that is, the, is, the, is to strangle to strangle. So when we talk about being worried about something, uh, when you worry, when you're anxious for things, you, you, it will cause physical consequences. You can get headaches, neck pains, ulcers, back pains. Worry affects not only our physical nature, it affects our thinking. It, 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 affects, it can affect our digestion. It can affect our coordination. All of these things as a result of what? being anxious plus it takes a whole lot of time out of your day <laughs> I know people that worry about stuff that never happens I hadn't noticed that <laughs> some of us worry more than others <laughs> so so the problem is that Worrying, thinking in the mind and feeling wrong feelings in the heart create problems. Worry is the greatest th thief of joy. Uh, someone once said, and I don't know who said this, but I thought it was an interesting concept. Worry is an inside job. You're not even being attacked from the outside. You're being attacked from the inside. And what's the anecdote, anecdote for worry? A secure mind. And how do you get security? And the peace of God shall guard you, garrison, guard like a soldier, your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. Huh. Really? Yeah. It's from the, it's from the old English root of the word that we get worry from. Yeah. So, I mean, think about that, is that Worrying strangles our ability to do just about anything else. It can, it can literally petrify you into not moving and not making decisions. And you're always making, you're always stuck going, well, do I do this or do that? What, again, the, the book that I love to hate, James, says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Chapter 1. It will cause you to not be able to make a decision. It talks about you're like a reed that's tossed in the wind or like a, like a wave of an ocean. It keeps going in and out, in and out. Because why? You can't make up your mind. God says, no, no, no. The way to, do, the, the way to gain that is to get a secure mind. It's God's peace guides you, and it, it, it protects us from worry. So what I'm going to do now is, I think... I'm going to try to, to do, uh, we're not going to get to, well, right. Okay, so I'm going to talk about right praying, right thinking, and right living. Verses 6 and 7, right praying. Verses 8, right thinking. Verses 9, right living. That's the, what we're looking to do here. 
we'll get as far as we can within the few minutes we have left. So we talked about what worry does. Worry, some of the major things of worry is our physical attributes. Am I high, am I tall enough? Am I too short? My, my weight, am I overweight, am I underweight? What do I look like? Do I look good in these pair of jeans? Honey, what do I look like in this dress? We, we start worrying about physical attributes. We start worrying about clothing. What will I wear? Do I have enough? I hate to tell you this, but I just got rid of, I, I just got rid of over 30 shirts that were in a different size. I'd had them for quite a while, thinking that someday I would get back into that size. <laughs> I would grow, grow back into them. <laughs> and, and my wife says I'm a clothes horse. I don't think I am, but, I, but she seems to think. And so I had, I, when we moved into our, our current place, uh, we t I took a closet and I put up everything that I had that didn't fit in this closet. And I was, it's been in that closet for over a year, and I haven't touched a single thing, and I can't fit in any of them one way or another. So I decided to sell them. I got rid of them. And some, some we donated, some we, we sold, and some we're still trying to figure out what to do with. But we worry about clothing. I'm thinking, well, what if I need to have that clothes? I could have worn a shirt every day for a month and never had to wear the, wear the same shirt as long as I could wear that size. Thanks for taking care of that. No problem. It's, it's great. My, my, that closet up there has got a lot of room now, uh, tons of room. So in other words, don't, Matthew talks about cl our clothing. It talks about our food and drink. Do we worry about, you know, do we worry about what we're going to eat? Do we worry about the future is another thing. Prayer cures anxiety. Are you praying? And if you do, how do you pray correctly? And we'll talk about that. If we have the, one of the things we're told to do is we're told to have uh, the peace of God. There's a difference. We get peace from God when we become a believer. We get peace of God as we continue to live our life as believers. God says he will give us peace. By the way, the peace in the Greek there is synonymous with the, the Hebrew word in of peace, which is shalom. shalom. And shalom has the idea of wellness, wholeness, satisfaction, prosperity, not just the absence of war. It's much broader, much more rounded. And this is what God says that he will give us this. That, and it, he says it will, it will transcend all of our understanding. This is what God tells us he'll do. And he says it will guard our hearts, much like a soldier guards the entrance into the palace. God's peace can guard our hearts. Are you letting it do that? Or are you busy worrying? All right, so let's talk about this. How do we pray correctly? Well, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer, petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. All right, so, and it says that, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, 
there are three things I see as the right way of praying. One, we're told to have prayers. We're told to have uh, one of the uh, one of the translations says this one says petitions, supplications is another term for that, and then we're to do it with thanksgiving. So, some of us have a little acrostic that we use, and we talk about uh, what's it? Uh, we talk about uh, uh, adoration, you know, uh, confession. Acts, isn't that it? Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which is basically requests. So in here, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about this idea of praying right. Is this Prayer is the idea of adoration. It's the right kind of praying. It's that we adore. So often when we pray, what is it we do? We come in and we say, Lord, we have a problem. Thanks for... You know, we, we don't we rarely thank him, we rarely adore him, we rarely spend time with him other than to say, I here's my list of needs. Here's my shopping list, here's my list of things I need you to take care of, here's my honey do list. And then we run as soon as we've given it to him, we say, Okay, thanks God for taking care of it. See you next time when I have a problem. No, no, God says we're supposed to have, we're supposed to adore him. We're supposed to spend time with him. And then secondly is supplication. This is, this is presenting our needs. By the way, this term, this idea of supplication is not carnal energy, but spiritual intensity. Um, uh, Colossians 4.12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. It's that same idea of supplication. It's the intensity that's there in our prayers. How often are we not intense in our prayers? Jesus, when he was in the garden, hey, Lord, I'm going to be facing the cross soon. Could you pass? Could I, could I pass by? Is there a plan B? Is that what he did, or was he in earnest prayer? Was he in supplication? Was he praying and 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 sweating as though great drops of blood, possibly, actually blood, was coming out of him as a result of his agony over his praying? When was the last time that you and I agonized over our prayers? Just saying. Okay, I'll I'll flee from there. I know. I know. Last thing, appreciation, giving thanks. Colossians, which is the book we're going after, we finish four, uh, chapter 4 here, Philippians. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is Colossians three fifteen through 17. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're supposed to have a sense of gratitude. Do you remember the story in Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers? Remember this? And he says, now I want you to go to the temple, present yourself to the, the, the priests and be declared you know, clean. So they all take off, and then what happens? One comes back. By the way, that was a Samaritan, just saying. <laughs> but what did he do? He came back to thank Jesus.
Have, when's the last time you thanked him for what you're going through? Just ask him. Maybe I'm asking for a friend. Sometimes we don't ask because we're too proud. Just another comment about my problems. Everything. We're prone to pray about the big things, but God says to do it about everything. In everything. It's okay, God, I got this one. Don't worry about it. I'll come to you the next time I get a big one, right? It's like the story about, you know, the husband and the wife. And the wife deals with just about everything. And someone asked the husband, well, what do you do? He said, I deal with all the big things, you know, whether we go to war, whether to drop the atomic bomb on somebody, you know, those are my issues. The rest I just leave to her. Is that what we do? We just go to God for the big things? All the small things we can take care of ourselves? I don't know. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll run away. Remember, we can have peace with God, Romans 5.1, but we're called to, to have peace of God, which is that idea of the, the soldier guarding our, our hearts, guarding their palace. The peace of God stands guard over us. It stands guard over our heart, which stops us from having wrong feelings, and it can guard our minds, which is, can stop us from having wrong thoughts. Real quiet in here today. All right. <laughs> well, I'm going to stop here. I, I, have a, I have a handout, but I'll do it next week when we, when we deal with chapter, uh, verse 8 and following. And we'll try to get into the rest of the, of the time here. But I want you to realize that God says we need to, to not, not worry. Not worry. And to give thanks and to pray and to do it with supplication. And the process of that, God says he will give us the peace of God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever turned it over to God? I, I, there have been a few times in my life where I have wrestled. I've, I've shared some, a few of those experiences in my life, but the one that, I, that really stands out big time, there are several that stand out big time, but one was like the, a turning point in my life when I was wrestling with what to do with the rest of my life uh, when I was in college. And I thought I was going one direction, and God was saying, I want you to go another direction, and I didn't want to do it, and I wrestled with God literally all night. Um, and I finally just threw up my hands and surrendered, said, okay, fine, we'll just do it your way. I give up. And I had a peace that blew me out of the water. Up to that point in time, I was not peaceful at all. In fact, you wouldn't have wanted it to have been around me. Good thing it was in the middle of the night in a dorm room. And I couldn't make a lot of noise because it was going to bother other people. But I was just wrestling with God. He and I were having that, you know, come to Jesus meeting. Yeah. Hopefully age creates a certain amount of maturity and we learn some things as we go along the way. How does that work? I find that because I drive a lot uh -huh. in business and so I 
Bob, you're going to add. I was just going to say that the part about age, too. I'm reading a book right now called Chaplain from Bob Kinsley. Yep. That's the whole point of, you know, in the first half of our lives, we're kind of concentric and our, our circle kind of revolves in around us, into us. Mm -hmm. right? In the second half of our life, we're trying to move from success, you know, that circle revolving into us, to significance, right? So. That's a good good note since you're arguing with God otherwise, but that's okay. <laughs> good point. I like that. So sometimes as we pray, we need to pray believing and we need to pray. We've talked about this praying in the name of Jesus, which is not a magical term, but it is saying that we believe that we are speaking uh, with authority that this is something that Jesus would want to have happen, which, by the way, changes the way that I pray a whole lot when I start looking at it from that perspective versus using it as my rubber stamp, you know? Uh, yeah, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you know? Instead of saying, no, 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 I am speaking as though I have thought about this and I believe that this is what, this would be the best way for God to do this. Now, sometimes God's perspective and mine, just slightly different, just saying, you know, I, I've yet to convince him that if he'd just do it my way once, he'd find out how smart I really am. But one of these days he will. I'm, I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm holding out hope. Don't hold your breath. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, James. Often we don't. Most of the prayers that I think that go about, we're rarely giving thanks to God for anything that we have. Yeah. We're always asking for something, or we're all we always want somebody else to. Mm -hmm. and, not, and not for us and we forget that even though there may be a problem we have way more things to give thanks for than we do to be complaining about yes yes and uh, James was saying that we need to realize that too often there are more things to give thanks for than, than, than to complain about 
and I, I, I think we've had this challenge before during the month of November. I know that when I was in uh, one of my programs, uh, one of the things we did is we spent uh, a month uh, thanking God. And our, our goal was to spend five minutes a day and then try to build it up from there. And you first start out, it's all the big things, you know. Thank you for my for America, thank you for my life, thank you for my wife, thank you for, you know, and then we started going, we, I started realizing just how thankful I should be for, for food, for, for a breath, to just to breathe, for an opportunity to serve God. It changed my whole perspective as I started finding more things to be thankful for. Yes, Tom. First part of the Lord's Prayer is honoring God. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Boy, <laughs> it doesn't look a thing like heaven right now. But our goal is what? Is to advance God's kingdom here on this earth. That's why we left here. That's why when we got saved, he didn't just immediately take us home to heaven. There's a job for us to do. You know, and our problem is that we get so caught up in being in, you know, we're all looking for what happens when Christ returns. Well, in the meantime, Ephesians 2.10 says we're here to do good works. So let's get busy. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to study your word. Wow, what a, <sighs> this is one of the good books. And yet I still come away from this book being challenged and realizing that I fall so short of what it is you want for my life and how you want me to respond. Help us, Father, to, to find your peace because we're in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and appreciation of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Help us to understand that as we do that, that you will provide your peace that will guard our hearts and our minds. How we need that, how I need that, just even today, Father. I pray that you would help us each to be centered on you and helping, we pray for your help as we seek to follow you and to fulfill the call that you have given to each of us. We ask this because we believe this is what your son wants for us in his name. Amen.